Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Smell like wine. There's a good reason for that. Thank you for listening to this very special, spicy, tangy, zesty edition of the JT Looney podcast. I believe episode 171. Powered by our friends at Bet Online. Go to betonline.ag. You can bet on the NBA Finals if you want. The Belmont. Uh, you got futures. You got NFL futures. It really is the fastest and easiest way to get all your betting information and to place a bet. Live betting options, too, which is really cool. They have your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone or from your home wherever you want to play. You know, we can do anything from anywhere now. Bet Online is the place to go, and they're a great sponsor of the JT and Looney Podcast. And just for being friends with the JT and Looney Podcast, you get a 50% sign-up bonus if you use the promo code BLEAV when you sign up at betonline.ag. Hey, JT, I'm doing a live read without sounding like I'm reading because, of course, I'm a broadcast professional. You are the best voice <laughs> in all of live reads. You're a professional you. voiceover uh, talk show host, a news anchor, actor, director, producer. There's yes. a lot of things you do that the typical uh, sports talk radio guy can't do. But well, that is true. I'm a very autodidactic man. You're very, you're very, very good observant. at what you do. No, very good at what you're doing. Uh, good time to record the podcast that my sons are sleeping because they're 22 and about to be 20 and they sleep. Oh, yes. Yes. It's a big deal. deal. The one who graduated college starts a new job. Leave that off the podcast. Okay. Tomorrow. And he's the the one who gets up every morning. The other one likes to sleep a little bit more than the others. Well, I remember as much. Do you recall sleeping as much when you were 18, 19, 20 that I'm noticing my sons and friends. uh, My wife says they're growing. I said, no, no, stop. That's when they were eight, nine, ten. <laughs> they're in their 20s. They're growing. Uh, your your, your wife up. is right because, well, remember, when we were growing up also, they didn't have the same scientific information, and we had parents that said, get out of bed. But uh, with during the gro- human growth hormone years, for boys especially, mm-hmm. I think, which is like 12, 13 to 25, they uh, they need more sleep than a baby. And as you know, with your youngest one, I remember when he was in high school, you used to have to like bang cymbals and he was really, he he was really would go deep, deep, deep. Right. You know that term REM sleep? Yes. My youngest son gets really like 12 hours of REM (laughs) sleep. Wow. If you lit a fire or you had a fire alarm or anything right next to him, he would not move. (laughs) It's remarkable. It's remarkable, but. My yeah, and it's a little, little bit scary. My friend, my cousin, my friend, my cousin David, for years sleepwalked until he, but he stopped when he was like twenty five or thirty. But he used to have to warn everybody if they went camping or there were new people around, a new roommates in college, whatever. He would always have to warn everybody before everyone went to bed. I sleepwalk. I'm not being creepy in the middle of the night. One of the common questions asked throughout my broadcast career is not how many cities you're syndicated on. What time's your time slot? You know, I have my right. best friends don't know when I'm on the radio. Literally, I'm their best friends. They don't so know. Annoying. They're texting me. I'm like, I'm on the radio. You've known this. The biggest question is, when do I sleep? So let's get this out of the way in the right. JT Looney podcast. Sleeping, I can sleep anywhere at any time. So when I get on an airplane, I'm the happiest guy on the airplane because I can sleep. 
I can sleep on the aisle. I can sleep on the window. I can't wow. sleep in the middle. So as long as I get an aisle or I can sleep, I can close my eyes quickly and fall asleep. So that's a strength. But now that I try to sleep at home, dog, wife, kids, you know, I'm up late. I'm a late night guy. I've been a late right. night radio host. So I usually get to bed anywhere from 1230 to one. And the older I'm getting, I'm waking up at 6.37 or 8. Some people might say, 8, who gets to sleep until 8 o'clock? Well, if I'm going to bed at 1, you know, and I get to bed pretty quickly, I think that's a reasonable amount of sleep. I was a napper at one point in my college days. I could nap quickly, but the naps are going away. So I don't think I'm a great sleeper. I don't think I get a lot of deep REM sleep, even though I get probably the seven hours that you're supposed to get. I think eight's the one you're supposed to. Well, watch. it's just, you know, it's, it depends on with different people. I just, I, I know that uh, my mother went to bed at midnight, never before midnight. And it was always getting up at seven every morning. It was about seven hours. Right. She lived a nice long life. Tina Turner, who just died, always slept 12. Uh, from what I was reading, I, uh, ever since I got out of high school, you were talking about sleeping late. I designed, I, I didn't take any early classes cause I knew better. And I've designed my entire life around avoiding getting up early. So when the rest of the world, people say eight, ha, huh? yeah, eight, eight, eight thirty for me, nine o'clock has been kind of the norm most of my life, except when I did some morning drive radio. Uh, other than that, if, you know, if it involves being the center of attention, I'll get up early, of course. <laughs> I never had uh, a real nine to five cubicle job, and I designed my entire life around that way, and it's working so far. Well, we both agree that getting proper sleep is really important. Yes. Oh, my and God. Yeah. Good sleep is very important. You know, Ariana Huffington wrote a book on sleep, JT. <laughs> I saw her. I remember she was on Charlie Rose back in the day because she was working so hard that she was only sleeping four or five hours a day and then fell and cracked her head open. And then the doctor said, yeah, you don't sleep anymore. And so she started. Uh, so, so then she became a sleep expert. I'm taking a quick trip to Hawaii coming up here next week. Oh, wow. I'm going out of town, too. My home's secure and we have cameras and there'll be plenty of people here. I'll just throw that <laughs> out. Uh, there, it's a three hour difference. So when I'm watching my Golden Knights in the Stanley Cup final, that game will be at two o'clock in the afternoon. Oh, nice. So I'm looking forward to having some beach time and a beach bar and watching that. But what happens in Hawaii, that's what really changes me because Hawaii is my happy place. Maui, if you can ever get a chance to go, a lot of East Coasters don't go because it really is far. It's oh like my God, it's on yeah. the West Coast, Pacific time zone, going to London, going to Europe. So normally when people say, well, I've never been to Hawaii, I look at them and I shake them. I go, are you out of your mind? You've never seen that. Well, why Hawaii? I've been to Florida. I've been. No, no. The, the look of the water and the plants and the clouds, everything's completely different. It's, it's kind of like you're looking through a different type of prism. So right. when you go there, but everybody goes to bed. At eight thirty nine, and I'm there on the line. I go, what's everyone doing? I don't know. <laughs> open up another bottle of wine, get another cigar. No, no, no. We're gonna get to bed because we're gonna wake up and watch the sunrise. Okay, I, I get that. Or we're teeing off. We got two tea times at seven, which means I got to get there at six. I want to warm up for twenty minutes, putt for a few. I get that, but I don't think when you go on vacation and help me with this one because I'm about to do it. I don't want to go on vacation and go to sleep. I want to be in the water. I want to snorkel. I want to golf. I want to drink with my friends at night. I, I'm not going there to catch up on my sleep. It's so funny you say that. I'm going to Puerto Vallarta next week, too. Coincidentally, oh, we're both taking it. the same week off. Yes. And 
I, you know, sometimes when you they get know a little... you by name, excuse me, they know you <laughs> by name. They don't know me and Maui by name. They don't go, there's JT the Brick or there's John. And I, now, they know you. Do you. Are you comfortable going back there again where they go, oh, there he is. That's so Tomas. funny. Tomas is coming. Yeah, and it's uh, about 20 years ago. I got a nickname on the beach, Johnny Bravo. You ever see the cartoon Johnny Bravo? I have. That's a, <laughs> that's a great nickname. Yeah. One, of, one of your many, I'm sure, down there. I'm sure there's yes, more one than of my one. many. There's after dark nickname and during the sun nickname. God damn right. And uh, yeah, the during the sun nickname. And so the first thing I'm going to hear uh, when uh, the first thing I'm going to hear on the beach on Monday is Johnny Bravo. And. Yes, so that happens. But you know, I, uh, I I'm the same on the other way around. I, I know people's names as well. I'm going to know their names, and I know the homeless people's names in my neighborhood. But that's a whole other. Uh, well, the one whole... thing that our listeners should know, if you've been listening to the JT and Looney podcast for years, is the one thing I don't agree with you. You don't drink during daylight hours, which to me is very uncomfortable because we've been in <laughs> fights and pools. <laughs> and, hey, can I get you something? No, but when the sun sets, you'll stay. Oh. And you'll yes. have wine with your dinner and cocktails. The and Irish kicks in when the sun sets. In, but is... during the day, you're very disciplined. And I've never asked yes. you this publicly. You're even disciplined with your drinking rules on the beach during the day? I Well, most likely I will be. I break that rule every once in a while because I think you don't get anywhere in life if uh, if you don't break a rule. It's a bit, I, I think you know followers follow rules and leaders break them. And that's the that's what separates leaders and followers. So do I even break my own rules at times? Yes. But, you know, when it comes to diet, exercise and nutrition, I'm one of the most disciplined people I know. Yeah. You don't eat bread at home, but you'll have bread in a restaurant. Right. I'll you'll break that sourdough. rule. Oh, yeah. Sourdough no, in one's, restaurant. no one's making fresh baked sourdough in this house. Well, <laughs> right. When I go to Taylor's Steakhouse, they bring it to the table and I eat it because I like to live life. So will I have a cocktail when the sun's? I'll make sure I have a cocktail when the sun's out for you, and text you from Puerto Vallarta to to Hawaii, which has very similar weather that I'll be enjoying. It's just a long flight that I don't enjoy, so I go to Puerto Vallarta instead of instead of Hawaii. If you're watching our podcast, you'll notice behind me is a framed jersey of Jim Brown. Yeah, and we didn't get a chance to dive into this deeply, and I wanted to make sure I did a little bit on the radio. Good. Jim Brown passed away, I believe, on a Friday and went into the weekend. And then it was a holiday after that. And I just want to say I have a very big and heavy heart for Jim Brown, who had a big impact on my life. My radio career uh, became a good friend, a confidant, a mentor to me. I don't have many mentors. My dad's my biggest mentor. You know, Jim Brown, Fred Bolitnikoff. There's a couple of people. Andrew Ashwood, who passed away. I wrote my book, The Handoff. He was a mentor. Of mine. I got a lot of friends, but I don't have a lot of mentors. And I've been disappointed most of my life by the people who should have been my mentors in my career. Right. Uh, Radio is a great example. I've worked for some people that were just, I'll leave it PG, but I had one or two great mentors in my radio career. I think the best of all time, Andrew Ashwood, Craig Kitchen. And you and I have talked about that on a yeah. side note. And where we work in a business where we admire Bill Belichick or Phil Jackson, we call them geniuses. But our program directors many times didn't oh. lead us or direct us. Yeah, we, we, oh. we had our shares of program directors that never said a word to us. Then again, you know, the good ones say hello and let you go. So yeah, it, it, we, we would have been annoyed if they tried to help us too much. But uh, Jim Brown had a big impact on my life because – when we the backstory, if you didn't hear this, got a chance to know Jim Brown a little bit. And I went to our program director, our vice president of Fox at the time, Andrew Ashwood. And they were giving us a little bit of a budget. 
back then. You could have a budget to have Jay Glazer on. What a great NFL insider. So Jay right. Glazer would get paid to come on. And you could have an NBA insider or whatever. And we'd have a small budget per show. And I went to Jim Brown and said, look, I don't got a lot of money. I can give you about 500 an interview. It's a lot of money for to be on the phone. Right. Ten minutes. Who's going to turn that down? And Jim Brown did not need the money. And I went to Andrew and I said, look, instead of this budget and chopping it up into two or three guests per week, why don't I just give it all to Jim Brown? He goes, you think he'll take it? I go, yeah. So I went up to Jim Brown's house and I sat down with him and I said, look, I got about five, six hundred bucks a week for you to come on the show over the phone. Or will you take it? And he goes, yeah, on one condition. We don't talk sports. I said, oh, my God, how am I going to spin this? We're at Fox Sports Radio. Right, right. And I went back to Andrew, and he said, who cares? We just want to get Jim Brown on to talk. We'll talk oh, good. Good. Rights, talk about right. this and that. So at that time, the Iraq war was really ramped up. And he wanted to talk about that. And he wanted to criticize government. He wanted to talk about the military. He wanted to talk. Mostly he was very pro-president, pro-government, but he was anti-war at the time. And we just have conversations for 10 or 15 minutes. And there was no, hey, what do you think the Browns are going to do this Sunday? Right. He refused to do that. So that relationship got stronger and stronger. Then I started going up to the house, started meeting his kids, his second wave of kids were the, kid, the age of my sons. And then we'd go to Canton, Ohio, and we'd have a nice private discussion in his room in Canton. And, you know, we, we had this friendship where he'd call me out of the blue and I'd call him and we'd both pick up. And I knew he was dying because I saw him in Canton this past uh, Hall of Fame induction, and he came into the room in the, into the gold jacket party afterwards. How I got in there, don't ask. And when I got in there, um, he had a walker, and he sat down, and the whole room was just looking at him, from Larry Zonka to Howie Long right. to James Lofton. All, every single hole, the attendance was almost perfect. And I waited, waited, waited. And took my shot and went and sat next to him. And he could barely talk. He was whispering. I basically said, hey, Jim, I love you. Thanks for everything you've done in my life. I can't thank you enough. And he tapped me on the knee and said, love you too. And I walked away and I went back to one of my buddies there. And I said, wow, I got a chance to say goodbye. Because you knew. You knew at that moment. You told me on the phone that yeah. you knew that that would be the last time you ever saw him. Yeah, and it was the last time I ever saw him. So you don't get a chance to do that much in life with people. We all wish we could have that go back in the hot tub time machine and say goodbye to someone. You don't know. Yeah, right. you're right. We weren't I... able, well, you know, so for that, I was able to do that. And then we found out he passed. So the last thing I want to say about Jim is he was very, he was a very complex human being. There was some domestic issues right. that he atoned for. And they weren't, you know, those were issues of him beating up a car, uh, beating up a car in his driveway because he was so mad. Well, well, I remember okay. it was, just, uh, and he got in trouble for that. It was his own car, so that'd be a yes, whole other and, case. And he went still. in front of the judge, and he said he'll go to jail for that. He was not apologizing for anything. He stood, and a lot of people didn't like that. I look at the good things that he's done, and I know he atoned for some of the bad things in his life. That was very important to him. But what he did with American to try to help people in prisons—no one has any idea how much time Jim Brown spent in prisons, in the yard in cells, talking and trying to reform criminals so they'd have jobs when they came out of prison, American. What he was able to do with civil rights with Lou Alcindor, Bill Russell at the time, which was just incredible to stand behind. Muhammad Ali. With Muhammad yep. Ali. And then everything he did to stop gang violence. The fact, and this story needs to be told again because I was there for it during one of his gang summits in his house 
in his house on the Hollywood Cliffs, higher up than Brad Pitt's house and Leonardo DiCaprio's when the Crips and the Bloods were there with Curtis Martin and others, and he was trying to bring peace and stopping the slang of young black men in the streets of Watts and Los Angeles and South Central. No one's ever done that at his level. So I know I just rambled a lot there, but I, we wanted to talk about Jim Brown. Oh, yes. Well, man, and I hope his wife Monique and their kids do well, and, and I'm thinking about him tonight. Because there's whole generations, and that would be from ours on, who, are just, who just know of this legend and now how everyone's demeanor changes when his name comes up. And when people talk about the greatest football players of all time, they're almost always talking about people who played when they watched. But almost every single person, no matter what age, reaches back to the 50s and early 60s and brings up Jim Brown's name as greatest football player of all time when it comes to that argument. Uh, a lot of times with other sports, people don't reach back in the hot tub time machine and take people who played when television was in black and white and always include their name doesn't happen in the NBA, doesn't happen as much in boxing as it should, but it always happens in football with Jim Brown. And I sports biographies and sports books and sports autobiographies uh, aren't always the first thing I'll grab off of a shelf. But a friend of mine who was from England and not that interested in any other sport other than boxing, she gave me a Jim Brown book. And she was uh, a black woman from England. And I read the book and it was so terrific. And the things he had to go through too, when he grew up, he was the fifth string running back at Syracuse. They didn't want to make the black guy, the first string running back. And he had to live off campus because he was, he didn't live with his teammates, all the white guys, which was most of the team lived in one dorm. And he lived in a house in the black side of town. I mean, it was, it was, you understood the chip on the shoulder that drove him because we didn't grow up like that. And we, do, we didn't grow up in an era like that. And also we didn't, we didn't look like him, but, and a lot of people, I think the uh, mistake people would make and Howard Stern used to always joke about the dashiki he would wear or the hat. And Howard called it the, I hate white people hat, right? Because <laughs> uh, Howard's funny, but it wasn't true. He has, you know, he was still close until his high school football coach died. One of his best friends in life was his white high school football coach. Sure. He never ignored the great and he firmly believed that he wouldn't have been where he was in life if these wonderful white people hadn't have done things for yep. him and helped him out and always spoke like that. People didn't always sometimes people who had uh, pre uh, had prejudged him didn't know some of this wonderful background that he had in some of the. Uh, 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 you know, one of the greatest lacrosse players of all time. He was I was just, just going to mention that because I watched the national championships always on Memorial Day, and Duke played Notre Dame, and Notre Dame won. And they were they're, they're in saying, lacrosse. Yeah. yeah, they were saying there were five or six Hall of Fame players on the field. Like if you follow lacrosse, these were kids in high school that were the greatest in the country right. playing against each other. And they mentioned Jim Brown on the broadcast because he passed away. And I mean, you know, Jim Brown's fitness is remarkable. He's on the cover of Sports Illustrated in his 40s with a Raider jersey. I remember that. <laughs> and yeah. Stories of him playing golf and playing pickup basketball in Vegas. I had some friends who played in those games saying his ability to get up and down the court in his 40s was amazing. But can you imagine to be there when he was in college at Syracuse and before that in high school at Manhasset? To see a grown-ass man that big, African-American, in a sport 
predominantly oh that's a cross it's a big white game. long island sport and then there's and jim brown jim brown coming across <laughs> the midfield full <laughs> speed a track star with shoulders like that you wonder why he was the greatest lacrosse player of all time because nobody would get in his way he would run around him run through him go left go right score to the point where people were intimidated by him and i was never intimidated by jim when i sat across from him over the phone when i asked him a tough question he would laugh he'd go pause and he'd go <laughs> yes and that's when i knew he was serious about something and it also was his little tick to give him time to think <laughs> it was that's a very good point but you know to wrap up this piece on jim brown think of this we often talk about Mount Rushmore, the greatest of all times in sports. You know, LeBron and Jordan, where are yep. Brady and Montana? I say this about Jim Brown. Imagine when he was at the Ali Summit, which was in Cleveland, and they were trying to you know, talk through Muhammad Ali and protect him and right. stand up for their friend who had religious values and didn't want to fight in the Vietnam War. Right, and who was not being allowed to work because of his political opinion. Right. And three of the gentlemen, if you look at the picture, there were a lot of athletes there, but three of the gentlemen that come to my mind is Jim Brown anchoring the meeting, a young Lou Alcindor who was there, and then Bill Russell. Yeah. So those three players, you can never remove from Mount Rushmore, like Babe Ruth, Jack Nicholas. So at that time, to think that Jim Brown could bring people together and say, our brother Muhammad Ali, who's now a Muslim, and we're probably not. Most of them weren't. And Kareem had strong religious views at that time. And I'm sure Bill Russell did. For Jim to put that summit together and to get everybody there. And as he's now a movie star, a movie star, a real black movie star working with Raquel Welch right. and everybody who's there. For Jim to have that influence and to bring people together, other than Jackie Robinson, who deserves much of the credit, Jim Brown, when it comes to civil rights, and what he was able to do to protect the values of African-Americans and try to bridge the peace, and then 30 years later do it with the gangs. What a life. And people need to remember that. You can pick at the mistakes that he made, the issues that are prevalent and everybody should be aware of, but he tried to atone for that. And I'm not saying that his life was perfect. Many, My life's not perfect. Yours isn't either. But Jim Brown atoned for that later in his life and died in his late 80s and i think he died in peace human beings are complex and we can always find fault with people who do great things and we can always find something wonderful about people who actually do dastardly things it's uh human beings are complex uh and because we are we are all deeply flawed if you want to sit around and have a show where we talk about people's flaws it would be too easy and that's why talking about people, I always say this is funny because it's hypocrisy because so often sports talk radio is all about people. But I think at least uh, over the, at the dinner table, talking about people is easy uh, because people are flawed. It's always uh, much more intelligent and, and kind hearted to talk about things rather than people. I digress with Jim Brown. Two things. You can't start the Mount Rushmore of greatest football players of all time with anybody else. Other than Jim Brown, he would yes. be the George Washington figure on the Mount Rushmore greatest football players of all time. That's number one. Number two is how he treated your father. People of your our father's generation, Jim Brown was the same as he is now, the Mount Rushmore when it came to the greatest football player anybody ever saw. And 
your uh, favorite human being on the planet is your father. And it's certainly uh, Jim Brown did himself a lot of favors in terms of how you feel about Jim Brown by how he treated your father. Yeah, a great story. My mom and dad mean everything to me. My dad came up to Jim Brown's house. I had to go up there and get something signed from him. And I said, can I bring up my dad? And he said, oh, absolutely. And brought my dad up to his house. And we sat in the backyard and we drank iced tea. And my dad remembers Jim Brown's greatest days because Jim Brown passed at 87. My dad's 85. So roughly the Mm -hmm. same time. And my dad remembered him running the football at Yankee Stadium and all of his great moments. And they had a nice conversation. And they talked about family and myself and he asked about my dad's grandkids and my dad asked about his family, which is very pleasant. And I, I remember that driving out of that neighborhood again, again, the neighborhood where Jim lives in. If you don't get get it, he lives in the Hollywood Hills at the top because he had the money to buy the house. I think he bought it in the late 60s or 70s and never sold it. And wow. bought underneath them, just obliterated their old 1960s, 70s house and put up a you know, $20 million mansion and right. lived in a very humble house with a patio. And as we were drinking iced tea out there, you could just look out and see all of LA, the entire yeah. downtown, the water out in the distance, everything. And it was pleasant. And I remember, you know, driving back with my dad and talking about it. But my favorite thing that I like to do is when I got him to sign that small contract at the time, it was, you know, $10,000 or uh-huh. twelve or whatever. I'd always go back and I would make a copy of it. I didn't have a copy machine at home. I'd make the copy of it and I'd give our program director, not Andrew, a copy mm-hmm. of the contract. And I kept the contract, the real one, where there's a real signature. Oh, wow. About four or five of those in a wow. nice private place with his beautiful signature, the date and the letterhead and all of that. It just, you know, again, I think the one last thing I want to say is, When it comes to Jim, try to do this with everyone. You never know. We just lost a great friend, uh, Tracy Bowden, who passed away. And she was a great Mm. boxing, boxing. She put together all the boxing radio remotes we ever did for Urban Communications. Yeah. Mostly the HBO fights. And I didn't, she died at 50. And I would have loved to have said one more time how much I loved her and give her one more hug. And you can't do that because someone's not supposed to die at 50. Jim Brown in his late 80s, I kind of figured that he didn't have much time with us. Right. And I would recommend everybody else do that. It's uncomfortable. You don't have to let that person know you're saying goodbye. But I think that type of closure, we don't get enough of that in life. And I was able to get it with Jim Brown. And the irony of that, to get it with Jim Brown, is I want to make sure I'm able to get it with aunts and uncles and, you know, friends and everybody I know, the irony that I got a chance to do it with Jim Brown gives me tremendous peace. Well, there is a time when we know when we can do it. And that's when you hear that someone's at home hospice. Mm-hmm. And uh, my college roommate was at home hospice after battling with cancer. He just got tired of doing it. So a couple of years ago, if you'll remember, I got to do it. I got to do it twice because I flew in and out of Philadelphia. He lived out of, uh, in Philadelphia. So I went back east to visit family. And every time I had seen my mother, it could have been one of those times, too. So it was always important for me for years. That would be one of my trips or two of my trips each year would always be that. And the other fun Puerto Vallarta type trips took a back seat. But I saw Rothenberg, a great friend and college roommate. And so I, I flew in and out of Philadelphia, said goodbye once. And then when I came back to get my flight again, said goodbye a second time. See you on the other side. And it was wonderful that we 
knew, and I don't think I said goodbye, but we knew both times I visited. It could be the last time that I saw him. And then the, the last time I knew it would be. And it actually is a beautiful thing. The NBA playoffs have wrapped up on TNT. And I bring this up because I don't want to get into the Celtics collapse. They were down 0-3. They came back and tied it at 3-3. I got the fish hook right here in my mouth because I bought into the fact. Preseason on this podcast, I predicted Boston and Denver, and I had Boston winning the title. You're so good at that. So when Boston came back to tie it up at 6 and we're going home for Game 7, Dana White flew in, Bill Simmons flew in, Bill Belichick. Everybody's there for that because they wanted to see history. Yeah, that's our human nature. Oh, my God. If you can go back in the hot tub time machine and go to a World Series walk off home run of Joe Carter, yep. you go. Right. So everyone in Boston, Sully from Southie and those hardcore Bostonians wanted to be there because they were going to rub it in our face when they won that game. They'd have two of the greatest comebacks of all time. The 04 yeah. Red Sox over the Yankees down 03 and they'd have the only comeback ever in the NBA down 03 and they're cocky and they're snarky and it's an historic sports town and they've had great moments so they lose i knew when they were losing i didn't want to tune in for the trophy presentation i wanted to see ernie say goodbye to his longtime producer and director there at tnt on inside the nba because it was going to be his last broadcast Mm -hmm. and those scoundrels over at abc take over the NBA Finals, which is such an inferior broadcast than the TNT pre- and post-game show. So I know you wanted to comment on all their Emmys and the grace of that show and the fact that we won't see them again until next year. Oh, yeah. It's just always one of those things. There's somebody on Instagram who always cuts up the highlights and the moments, too. So if you uh, couldn't stick around for it or you fell asleep or whatever, which would not be me because we just talked about sleep, and I'm on the West Coast anyway. But yeah, the the spontaneity of the broadcast—it's not forced. You know, the NFL on 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 Fox over the years has become a little forced. <laughs> has become forced. It was fun when it first started, the first decade or two, with all the spontaneity with Terry and Howie and Jimmy and JB back in the day. But it's become a little bit of a parody of itself. So far, not inside the NBA. That has really taken over. And let me as... get his name correct, because the longtime producer, Tim Kiley, mm-hmm. retired after 27 years. They did a documentary, a four-part documentary on the show, and he is the brains behind it and all of that. And he had a gone fishing hat on. He, he was on the set as they closed it out. And I wanted to make sure I got his name right, Tim Kiley, because he's been in Ernie's ear the entire time. He's the guy that brought in all, you know, Kenny and Shaq and Charles had to be stern with him at times. And other times said, you're doing great. Keep it going. Right. He deserves a lot of the credit here. Oh, yeah. And Charles deserves a lot of the credit. Ernie oh. and Charles. Ernie and Charles are the, are the guys that really uh, uh, anchor that and make it what it is. Kenny and Shaq reacting. And that's, you know, reacting. Playing a number two is a really incredible skill. And guys who are stars in the NBA don't like to be number two at anything. Shaq's not number two anywhere else in life, and neither That's is Kenny. <laughs> but on that, this is different. This isn't basketball. And they did play on a team, so they get the concept, obviously. And Charles, and the, one of the uh one of the fans of the show on Instagram always cuts up Charles' accidental 
homosexual double entendres that he constantly does because there's so many times you can do that in basketball with if a guy's banging you, you know, then immaturely Shaq and Kenny will start snickering. I mean, Ernie's got to take control over the 11th grade broadcast. Yeah, he's very good at that. <laughs> and, um, and so that's always funny when the person cuts that up because Charles does it almost every week by accident, which is part of his charm. He's just him. And especially when he's, He's funny when he tries to be, and what's even funnier is he's funny when he's not trying to be. Yeah, one thing on the show that you mentioned, it's spontaneity. They don't have a rehearsal, right? They don't have a mm -hmm. rehearsal. I normally don't like that in life. On radio, I don't have a rehearsal before I go on my shows, right. yep. but I don't work off of notes. Okay, I prep all day. I prep, and I'm prep, but I don't work off of notes. I don't right. work off a of teleprompter. I don't work off any of that. I'm proud of the fact I can get on the radio and riff and, and tell you what I feel. And then the knowledge that I have about the sport or what's about to happen is from the prep that I did, but I'm not a notes guy. Same with those guys. They, they might have a note or two about the stats at halftime when they got to go quick. Normally I don't give credit to people when they just make fun of each other. And in sports radio, we're seeing that now where there's people in sports radio who have some good shows and they got six or seven co-hosts, the board ops talking Right. So the phone screeners talking. I don't give a lot of credit to that because that means the host isn't talking and the other people are. And it's kind of like the host is taking a breath, which I don't get a chance to do. So right. I get very upset about that because if those shows are known for being great and the host is making fun of the board op and the board ops making fun of the guy who's clapping, you got clappers now. Guys were on radio shows, they're going like this. Right. So I don't like that, but I'm okay with it with inside. With inside the NBA on TNT. It works for me, but that format doesn't work for me in a lot of other genres. I well, like the, the, here's the a reason why it doesn't work for you in other genres, especially if you're listening on the radio. You don't know who's talking, at least when you're watching inside the NBA. You, you know it's Kenny or Shaq or Charles or Ernie. And what has happened a lot of times with the evolution of sports talk and that guy talk stuff going on with sports talk and everything other than the sports that they're talking about is they're not talking enough about sports. And I'll hear, okay, I know that's Dan, but I don't, all of a sudden other voices will start talking. And what people are, what, what happened was, and Howard Stern caused the spawn of mutant copycats. He always used to talk about that because oh, it was part of his uh, act was uh, making fun of that. But it was true. I don't think it bothered him as much. He was flattered by it, but he would act as though it bothered him. But people, you know, Gary would talk and, and Robin would talk, but you got to know who those characters were. But every once in a while, you'll be listening to your favorite show, and you'll know that's Billy, that you know that's Bob and Tom, right? But all of a sudden, there's other voices. Yeah, I and you don't those, know who they are. I call those other voices the interrupters. Yes. The interrupters, because they get paid. And again, they didn't get paid to start in the business doing weekend overnights or updates so that they just get paid to be clowns. Oh, and I had a program director that put a, a stop to it. A loony live and local. A buried alive one to five, I used to call it. On 97.1, the FM talk station. I was the lead in for Howard Stern, uh, which meant I did overnights. And uh, I was talking to my board op. It's a good overnight joke you just said there. Yes. I was, I was the intro <laughs> to WEEI's 11 share morning show. I right. tell everybody that. <laughs> 
And so I I I started to we were going over an air check like great leaders would do. Jack Silver back in the day, we we're going over one of my air checks. And he stopped. He said, what, what's who what's this voice? It was the, the board op. And he put a stop to it right away. He said, you sound great. You got command. You're very effusive. The people cannot miss you, cannot ignore you. But, but all of a sudden there was this other voice, this little mousy voice. And he was right. People don't, people are listening, they know who they're listening to. And then they, people don't want to be confused. People want to be enlightened. They want to learn. And then, you know, too many sports talk show hosts are talking in foreign languages about uh, cap hits and uh, collective bargaining agreements. And people don't want to listen to foreign languages. They want to learn. And they, they, they don't want to wonder who is that that's talking. And there's too many shows that are doing that. Well, there's a lot of platforms we have now. My son is editing this, so it's on video. There's some YouTube action coming up. I'm on the TikTok. Uh, oh, I don't good. Know how good. I'm on the TikTok. My son does these videos that are going viral, and I put them on Twitter, but they're on the talk. So I'm there with all of that. We have the audio version of this where you could always get it wherever you just search JT and Looney, and then the video portion of this. So we think. You know, as we thank our partners such as Believe and what we're doing behind the scenes here. And Bet Online. Bet Online, a great partner here. Help us get the podcast out. You're going to tune in or listen. You don't have to listen to everyone, but if you're catching up to that, share it, subscribe, like it, because none of this matters other than Looney and I who are best friends talking. We want to talk to each other multiple times a week, but we want to put this content out here, mostly sports for you, to share with other people and get it to the point where it's really viral, people are watching it, giving us recommendations, we're getting more advertisers in here. It's what it is. It's supposed to be a business. It's not that big of a business for us because we're fortunate to have a couple other gigs, but we want the JT and Looney podcast to kind of grow. So do us a favor and share this one, share the other ones, like it, tell your friends about it, and hopefully we continue to do this because I always like to talk to my friend Tom. And we can make it our business one day from our house in Hawaii and Puerto Vallarta. Well, it's clear because <laughs> that's very important. If uh, Joe Rogan can make 200 million, we can make yes. a million. Yeah, exactly. We're going to find a way exactly. for the happy medium there. So as we always say, thanks for listening to the JT and Looney podcast. Boom. Good. I'll call you back All here. All right. Bye. Bye. So symmetrical. Thank you for listening to all 38 minutes and 38 seconds of the JT and Looney podcast. You win the Michael Ryan award for listening to all of it. And we need to remind you that we are powered by our friends at bed online where the game starts. Thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.